You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. All right. Two-time stage four cancer survivor who's taking control of his financial health and put himself in the driver's seat by becoming your own banker. We are very honored to be joined here today by Steve Wenzel and his coach, Mr. Sarblo Gill, the infamous Mr. Sarblo Gill, an authorized infinite banking practitioner with the Nelson Nash Institute, a senior wealth architect and team developer here at Ascended Financial. Sarblo, welcome to the show. And can we ask you to take a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on your special guest today on our client series, Steve Wenzel. Absolutely, Jason. And again, Jason and Richard, thank you for having us again on the show. It's always a pleasure to be here. We have a lot of fun. And uh, with me today, it's my special guest is uh, my client, Steve Wenzel, who is joining us live from Toronto. Thank you for the Zooms. As Jason would like to say, Facebooks, I would like to say Zooms. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of the world to make it making it all happen for us. Um, a little bit about uh, how Steve and me got connected. So it was back in, uh, I think it was fall of 2019 when uh, Steve uh, discovered us. So he found us via Facebook and he reached out to me. He's like, uh, Sherblo, I kind of knew about this concept, but I thought it only applies to Americans. <laughs> and when I found out about this, I was really excited and I wanted to connect with you because I've been looking for something like this for a long time, and I didn't know it actually existed in, in Canada. Now, you know, Steve, uh, I'm, and you're going to hear from Steve also, but Steve, you know, he's, he's kind of a person who, who, who loves reading, who loves educating himself. Sure. So he basically ordered pretty much every book that's out there on planet on the process of becoming a banker, checked all the videos on, on YouTube and on Facebook and checked out our website. And he already had done a lot of research on this process. So when he met with me, it was more about clarifying questions because he, he already had done many of those researches by himself. Now, a little bit about Steve. He, he's an entrepreneur. He is a real estate investor and he's someone who manages his own properties. He takes pride in doing all that. Um, he loves Metallica. <laughs> and, and he can do a full headstand with yoga. Wow. I'd like to try that after a few <laughs> cups of coffee. Can we get that on the show? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, all uh, right. Yeah. So, so Steve, uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, wanting to share a little bit more about yourself also. Sure. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. I have literally seen every episode of Wealth Without Bay Street, which when I found you guys, the show didn't even exist. Either did the Facebook page, either did the client portal. Like you guys have put together a lot of stuff. And that was like several said, fall of 2019, I think late October. Um, so I was actually... I found out about IBC through Doug Andrew and Garrett Gunderson who were doing things that were similar, but not exactly. And again, all us based. Yeah. And uh, I tried to go through a couple of channels to get something set up through that. And I wasn't crazy about doing it in the States and us funds, signed up for some newsletters. And uh, again, all us like Ray Poteet, uh, his stuff, 
and a guy named Steve Parisi, or Parisi, I'm not sure, he referred me to Jason, and that's how I ended up meeting you guys and getting signed up. And as Sarblo uh, has very graciously left out of this, I was probably one of the most skeptical people that he's talked to <laughs> about IBC, <laughs> simply because I had read so much stuff and done so much research. I'm like, there is no way this is real, right? If it sounds too good to be true, it can, this cannot possibly. And that this is like Nelson would say, right? Just rethink your thinking. And I've been brainwashed into this way of thinking that no government agency, especially Canada Revenue Agency, or CRA, or I like to call them CRAP, because as far as I'm concerned, that's what it is. But anyways, uh, they would never let that much revenue go, right? There's no way. It's, but then you find out, okay, this pre-existed CRAP and all these other agencies. So this, I think, in my head anyways, I rationalized, this guy grandfathered it. And it kind of snuck under the radar because I think if you were trying to set up IBC today, there's no way. Like it, it would just be blocked at every turn because the, the loss of revenue, tax revenues, and to the losses to the banking system and all these, um, these systems that are set in place to basically keep you down, right? And so, um, Steve, what ultimately inspired you to, to move forward and begin to implement this process in your own life? Uh, I have been looking, uh, like Starbo mentioned, I'm a real estate investor. So I've been looking for a way for a long time to find out how can I circumlocute the bank when I want to buy a property. Mm. Uh, loans are very frustrating. Uh, as you guys know, anybody has tried to get a loan for anything. And uh, like now I have a, a track record. I've been doing this for years, but I won't qualify for any loans because I don't make a, a huge income. And this is kind of the barrier. Plus everybody's really nervous with what's going on around the world financially. Um, so I was just looking for a way, how can I get out from under the banks? really is, is the simple answer to that. And I was the only thing in my way of moving forward in the process. That's finally what tipped the scales. I talked to Sarbo a few times and I still, I realized that the only obstacle to me signing up for IBC was me. And I rationalized, okay, so let's say I sign up and I don't like it and it's horrible. What's the worst case scenario is I just quit, right? I just stop doing it. That's it. And, but the corollary is what if I don't sign up for it? Cause I talk myself out of it and then realize years later mm. what, that cost me in terms of where I could have been versus, you know. So uh, finally I just thought, all right, let's, let's go for it. You guys are legit. Everything I read about this seemed legit. I didn't know anybody that was practicing it, which was really hard. And like I said, none of the social stuff, the YouTubes and the Facebooks and all that other stuff you guys have put up now, it didn't exist at the time. That's right. Right? That's right. So go ahead, Rich. Then, yeah, well, when I, what, what, what I'm really curious about, Steve, you mentioned all those things, which is awesome. And so, you know, what, what, what that leads us up to is, you know, there's, there's like huge gap of everything that's happened to you prior to this initial discovery about this concept even in existence. So, you know, starting acquiring properties and everything that led you even prior to that. So maybe take us back a step and, and talk our listeners through a little bit about how you've gone through a journey that even led you to a place where IBC became something that, you know, showed up for you. Right. Um, so if I look at it strictly from a financial perspective, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I had a decent, uh, like summer job, temp job, and I was living at home, didn't have a lot of expenses. So I disciplined myself to start investing a thousand dollars a month, um, in mutual funds. Cause that's all I knew at the time. Right. I, I would never advise anybody to do that today, but that was a starting point. And that established a habit of setting aside cash to invest so that I would have it for future uses. Mm. Uh, and I actually had a friend back then, this, this is 
super important. It, it ties into mindset and uh, yeah, I guess your top five, the people you spend the most time with. I had a, a friend who was no longer a friend, but back then she was telling me, yeah, you can save $1,000 a month now when you're living at home. But once you move out, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. And fast forward now, like decades later, I'm literally setting aside over $1,000 a month just for my IBC policies. Nice. So, yeah. right, if people are getting in your head about that, you, that, that isn't true, right? That's not capital T truth. That's their small T truth. And it, that was not going to serve me. So I just had to cut that out. Um, so I'd, I've been investing in mutual funds for uh, a while. And uh, I didn't know where else to invest cash. I wanted to invest in other things. Real estate seemed really daunting. So as Sarbo mentioned, I did a, I read a lot. I did a lot of research and you never really feel ready to buy that first property. Right? It was kind of freaking me out. And before I could even get to that, um, it's going to take a kind of long winding journey. I ended up, I'm a professional musician by trade. So I ended up auditioning for and getting a job on cruise ships, working as a musician, traveling around the world, playing music, right? Dream job. It's fantastic. Did it for almost a year. And then uh, I was having some health issues. So I went to the doctor on the ship and he, his assessment was, I don't know what you have, but it's really serious and we can't help you. So I'm going to have to send you home. So we did. That was in the fall, like Labor Day weekend, 2000. And I was sent home to Toronto, was in and out of specialist offices and hospitals and everything. And, uh, nobody could tell me what was going on with my body. So this could be lupus. This could be some you know, bizarre tropical disease because you just traveled all over the world. This could be cancer. This could be whatever. Uh, we're going to have to do tests to find out what it is. And I kept asking, when do we do these tests? And nobody had an answer, right? So like a month went by, just wasted time and I'm feeling worse and worse. And finally, uh, in September, I was hospitalized with pneumonia. And a few days later, I was in the oncology ward, which probably should have been a big hint to me. A few days later, we did a, uh, an excisional lymph node biopsy. And a few days after that, I was diagnosed with stage 4B Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, boy. Right? I didn't even know what that was. Like, literally, the oncologist came into the room. I heard him in the hallway telling the interns, you know, this patient, this is what they have. And it, it's just a bunch of words to me. So he came in and he said, yeah, Mr. Wenzel, we got your test results back and you have stage 4B Hodgkin's lymphoma. And in my head, I went, damn it, Jim, I'm a musician, not a doctor. <laughs> but out of, my, out of my mouth, I go, wait a minute, like, I'm not, right? Like, can you tell me what that is in English? And he said, oh, yeah, sorry, that's, uh, that's very advanced cancer. And he also, he told me, you need to know, there's three things about this cancer. This is a Princess Margaret Hospital here in Toronto. And this, this is one of the top five cancer research centers on the planet. Right. And he told me, your cancer is very advanced. It's very aggressive, and it, is, it has spread in ways that we have never seen before. And none of that sounded good to me. Um, so usually when somebody gets a diagnosis like that, they, you know, they start freaking out, like cancer, oh my God. And I was, my response was relief, honestly. I was just so glad that finally I knew what was going on, and there was a treatment and something we could do. Uh, and that's something we could do. Turned into six months of chemotherapy. At the end of that... Everything looked good. My scans were clean. My blood work was clean. I was feeling great. I was like chomping at the bit. I just wanted to get back out to the ships. And so I got a clean bill of health and I was just kind of getting my ducks in a row so I could go back out. And then about three weeks after, I felt these three lumps up here on my shoulder, like golf balls. And uh, I knew that wasn't good. So I went back, met with the head oncologist in the basement of Princess Margaret Hospital 
because they knew I was not going to respond too well. <laughs> I don't think they wanted me in clinic around other people. He did a, what's called a fine needle aspiration biopsy and, and looked at me and told me, okay, well, uh, it's back, right? Or it never went away or it was too small. We couldn't see it, whatever, but mm. you, you still have cancer. So in my head, that was the end of chapter one. When they said, you have a clean bill of health, I'm done. Yeah. But in my medical file, it says I'm primary refractory, which is medical speak for you had a response and everything looked good, but it wasn't. And now we have to do something else. Mm. So I, I was furious. I mean, just imagine, right? You put your life on hold for six months, go through all these treatments. I literally, like everybody's living in COVID right now, shut into their house. That's how I live. Uh, and meanwhile, everybody else could do whatever they want. So I was you know, in solitary confinement, basically, just for my health. So I, I was really mad. And I wasn't mad at the, the oncologist, right? This guy just saved my life. Right. So I just, I looked at him and I said, right? I'm just like freaking out. I go, so, so that's it. I'm finished, right? Except that it didn't say finished. I used another word that started with F that I can say here. And he parroted back to me like, no, you're not finished exactly. There's something else that we can do. And that something else that they can do was the thing that they didn't want to talk about for the whole first six months. I kept asking them, like, what if this doesn't work? What do we do? And it turns out that thing was stem cell transplant. Mm. I don't know if anybody knows about stem cell transplant, but it's, it's basically my life became a science fiction movie after that. It, it just got increasingly bizarre. Um, I had to do a conditioning regimen. I had to do a, uh, a basically experimental treatment. Uh, and then I had to do a stem cell transplant in the summertime. And finally, by the end of all that, I got the all clear. Uh, it took about 15 months out of my life. So it was, uh, it was quite, it was quite stressful. I was like 29 at the time. Right. Oh, wow. And was, right. And that's just all of a sudden you're, you're, your life is on fire. Everything's great. I'm traveling around the world playing music. Like nothing could be better. And all of a sudden just right down to the bottom, right? Like I couldn't have been any lower. It can change and, in an instant. Right. In an instant. Out of nowhere. Yep. <clears throat> so to kind of, there's some other stuff that happened. Like, I just warn you, it's going to get dark. So people don't freak out. Like I'm alive. I survived it. It has a happy ending, but <laughs> there's a lot of darkness here. So during that whole time, um, my father never visited me. He never called. He like literally didn't care at all I mean, you guys are all parents and imagine how could you possibly right treat your kid like that there's, there's a lot of history behind that but he decided and i forget if it was the first or second time i was dying in the hospital he decided that would be a good time to divorce my mom after you know 30 some odd years of marriage and he literally no joke ran off and joined a cult and i haven't heard from him since right just disappeared uh mm -hmm. and I mean, people think, wow, that must be horrible. But honestly, it was probably the best thing that could have happened because that was, in a way, it was getting rid of a cancer out of our lives that nobody was sorry to see go, as dark as that sounds. And then, so on top of that, I'm not working the whole time. I have no income and I have no idea whether I'm going to actually survive this first or second bout with cancer. So, uh, but I realized my mom was going to need somewhere to live. So <laughs> no job, no income and right? Am I going to live or not? I bought a condo, which is where I'm speaking to you from now, because I knew regardless, she was going to need somewhere to live and she was not going to be in any condition to try and figure all that out. Right. Um, so fast forward a few years, right? I get back, start rebuilding my life from literally ground zero, right? After having everything on hold for over a year. Uh, and one of the reasons I was able to do that is because I had this money I'd set aside, I'd invested over the years. I didn't invest it 
as a means of, hey, I'm going to draw on this when I'm dying. But that's what it turned into. And I was really glad that that cash was there because I, I had no way to make an income during that time. Right. Um, so I get it that, that people think, oh, it's, it's too hard to set aside money to invest. I can't start a policy because I just, right, the money's not there. Like, trust me, if it's important, you'll figure it out. Hmm. Right? So that's, At, that's the end of the darkness. Well, that, what you just said there uh, actually speaks perfectly to what Nelson talks about in the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, when he says that everyone is already spending all of their financial resources on what they believe is important. And so if you possess this desire to change and you want to implement this process, it will require a change in priorities and and recognizing that you should be controlling the banking function personally as one thing that is probably most important in your financial world, then that is what is a catalyst for many people to say, you know, I initially thought that the money wasn't there, but when I, when I changed priorities, combine that with my desire to, to make a shift and to actually implement this in my life, then I, I found the, the money. It, it was actually there. And so, you know, it, I'll tell you, uh, we talk to people all the time, Steve, who uh, either have family members, colleagues, people that they know who've been, you know, impacted by cancer. And so the fact that you're here and, and that, you know, you have embraced this process and that you're vulnerable and being able to share your story um, is just, it's great. We really appreciate you being with us here on the show. And I would ask you, you know, what would be something that you would share with a listener who's maybe just tuning in for the first time, maybe this is their first Wealth Without Bay Street uh, episode, what would you share with that person? Mm. Well, I would share with them that I've seen them all to date and none of them were this dark, so don't let this tone kind of freak you out. Uh, But ultimately, uh, there's a quote. I don't know if you guys know who W. Clement Stone was. Mm -hmm. He was was a protege of Napoleon Hill, and maybe the listeners don't know, Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and W. Clement Stone mentored Ogmandino and Jack Canfield, right, and among other people. But anyways, W. Clement Stone was a guy that came from like poverty, nothing, and ended up, ironically enough, owning an insurance company that did very well and made him an incredibly wealthy guy. And the, where I'm going with this is he has a quote, which basically has, has been enormously helpful to me and I think would be helpful to anybody. And that is simply that if you cannot save money, the seeds of greatness are not in you. And it mm. sounds harsh in a way, but what it's, what it's speaking to, like I'm living proof of that. I started saving money when I, I didn't even know what I was saving it for. I mean, that sounds kind of strange. Why wouldn't you be out, you know, at 20 years old, buying a car or going out to clubs or what? It just, it didn't interest me. But I knew in the future I was going to need capital. I didn't know for what exactly, but I knew I was going to need it. So what I would say to people is just get clarity about what it is you want in your life. What's important to you and how can you start adjusting your priorities so that you're looking at this is where I'm going. You need to be able to think long term and you need to be able to reverse engineer it and just baby steps towards that goal. Even if it's setting aside 1% of your income or 2%, which doesn't sound like anything, but once you establish that habit and once you see the effects of that over time, it starts to build into capital. That's how I bought all my houses, literally, mm-hmm. is I just set aside cash in an account and let it go. Like a profit first, Mike was talking about. That's uh, right. Mike McCallowitz, right? Mike McCallowitz. Yeah. That exactly. It's that 
just that discipline to say, this is what's important to me. And I don't need to, maybe I, instead of going to Starbucks five days a week, I go two, right? Or maybe I brown bag it three days a week. Or if you're working from home, like really, what are your expenses? <laughs> so just focus on what's important to you. So shut out all the noise and just think of what your life, what you want your life to look like in five years or 10 years. And just reverse engineer that. The, the thing, I, and I really wish I could say to people, oh, it's easy, don't worry about it, there's no problem, you don't need money, but the reality is in, in the world that we live in, you need capital. Yeah. You don't have to have huge sums of it, but if you have just a little nest egg and you can control the function, especially the banking function, then you're unstoppable, right? You need to be patient, you need to follow the process, but the, the gains and the rewards are far greater than the, the, the pain, I guess, of the short term making these hmm. sacrifices, right? If you, oh, if you, this is really interesting, Steve. I, you know, being a real estate investor, you've, you've got a number of properties. You've obviously learned how to create cash flow, manage, deal with tenants, all the associated things that comes with it, the, the good and the bad, I'm sure. I, I suspect you'll have a number of stories that for our listeners on another call <laughs> one day. But if, if, if you were to go back to the situation that you found yourself in at 29, you know, going through such a, a tremendous, monstrous life change would be, you know, to say it would be impactful for any being, I think is an understatement vastly, but, you know, having to draw down and, and basically drain the capital pile that you've you'd built up. If you were to, you know, if someone is in your shoes now, 10 years from now, they're in a similar boat as you, but that person has IBC in their life. They, they'd started the same process you did by putting money away, but they mm -hmm. did it through an IBC method. What do you think would be different for them? And it, it would simplify things tremendously. Uh, just the peace of mind factor alone. I don't know if, uh, I think now people can relate to it with COVID because a lot of people have either lost their jobs or had to cut back on, at least they're not working as many hours or, or whatever it is. They've been um, impacted financially in ways that they probably never thought they would be. And if you have, that's like a secret weapon. Right? Like I've, I've been doing it now for about just over a year, maybe like mm -hmm. 14, 15 months. And just in that short period of time, uh, and it's, I don't want to make this all about me, but I've managed to pay off multiple debts and like three debts of like four grand each uh, down to zero, like paid them off. One of that was the remains of a, uh, the balance of a mortgage on the first rental property that I bought. Paid it Congratulations. Off, right. Own it free and clear. I never thought I'd see that day, especially so fast. And the, the kicker on that, uh, and I'm not going to tell people to just go out and buy and invest in real estate because it's not that simple, but I bought that place and most of what I'm holding today, I bought during the crash in 2007, 2008. And not because I'm some kind of like market timing genius. That was literally just dumb luck. That was me having done all the research and then feeling ready enough to jump in and do something. Like when I found IBC, uh, like I said, really skeptical. And anybody that's on the fence, like just what's the worst case scenario? You try it, you find that it's not a fit for you for whatever reason, and then you stop doing it. That, that, that is the downside, right? But the upside is, I mean, it's literally unlimited. Yeah. So anybody that finds himself in that position, I imagine back, if I would have had an IBC policy instead of mutual funds, it would have been so much more advantageous to me financially. It would have been so much easier to navigate all that because the first piece, when your income stops, then you realize how important your job is or how important whatever your source of income was. And you realize that you literally need money every day of your life to do something. If it's gas or groceries, like just things to survive. And I think a lot of people 
understand that a lot more now in COVID than they did pre-COVID. Definitely. And how did it make you feel after being able to get rid of those debts and oh. describe, describe to listeners what that feeling was like for you? Yeah. So, and again, the skepticism, but uh, when there was enough capital in the first policy, Sarbo said, okay, take a policy loan. And I thought, well, I don't really need one. And then I went, well, of course I do. <laughs> right? Like, think like a banker. And, it's, and I'm still, right, rethinking that, thinking around that. So I took a loan of a thousand bucks and I paid off, you know, a, the balance of a, a furnace, literally in one of my properties, a furnace burst into flame uh, about a year ago. <laughs> so that needed to replace, be replaced instantly, January, right, in 2020. Just, I can't tell the tenants, hey, I'll get to it in a month or whatever. So I used that to pay that off and then realized I can pay this loan back really fast because it's simple interest and I, I knocked it out and then I had even more capital for a bigger loan. And then knocked out another one and another one. And the, when I paid off the mortgage, that was one that, I mean, it's this goal that looking back, I, it was almost unattainable or unimaginable. Like I am never, you know, maybe 25 years, whatever, but literally 13, 14 years, I got this thing down to almost zero. And I could have bounced it back between HELOCs and different things and paid it off. But just the, the accelerated pace at which I could pay it off with my one simple, small IBC policy was astounding to me. And still, I'm looking at it like if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't believe that's even possible. <laughs> yeah. There you have it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And for listeners, what we're describing here, of course, is the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept, uh, described perfectly by the late R. Nelson Nash, who wrote the book titled Becoming Your Own Banker, Unlock the Infinite Banking Concept. And much like we do in every show, we provide uh, a link if you would like to add this book to your library. If you haven't read it, you have an opportunity. Uh, so be sure to check the show notes. And um, it, Steve, it's so great to have you with us today to share your story. And uh, again, we, we sincerely appreciate it. Sarblo, any additional questions for Steve? Uh, well, questions and more. I just want to share something on, on Steve. You know, Nelson shares this all the time when he was with us. And now that his legacy stays with us, you know, one of the things that I learned from Nelson is that this process is more caught than taught. Yeah. And Steve is proof of catching the process and implementing the process. He started with a one policy, you know, back in 2019. And as we were completing a first policy review, right after the policy was set up, I told Steve, you're going to be doing more policies. <laughs> you are. This is just a good start. <laughs> and then fast forward to starting the policy and using policy alone strategically, using it for the purpose of recapturing debt. He, and Steve, he, he connects with me very frequently. And he, he would schedule two calls back to back. And I would be like, why is Steve meeting with me back to back? Like, I have a meeting coming up with him this week. And then there's another meeting two weeks from today. He made a, maybe he made a mistake. So I called him. I said, hey, Steve, we have two meetings. He's like, no, no, I need both times. That's why I, I, I scheduled this time in the calendar. So I said, okay, good. So it's always usually 16 minutes, and Steve always had good questions to ask. So, so as he was planning to pay off his debt, and he, his cash flow increased because the banks were paid off. Yeah. Yeah. There was money now. And yeah. he was recapturing his policy loans. And he calls me. He says, Roblo, if we have a problem to solve. <laughs> We got cash now. What do we do? <laughs> well, don't put it anywhere near that furnace that <laughs> yeah. burst in the flames there. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, um, 
Fast forward to today, you know, matter of less than 24 months, Steve already has another banking policy in place. So, you know, just like how banks become profitable, they do more branches. Steve became profitable. He opened his new branch and the second branch was stronger than the first branch. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So good. Steve, I, what do you have to say in response to that? <laughs> the idea of, well, a few things. Thanks for being very generous. Um, but it, that's basically what happened, right? It, the reason I could start a first policy so easily is going back to that setting aside capital every month and effectively what it was going to cost me every month or, or the, the premium every month, I had already been setting that aside anyways, right? So here's cash I'm putting into it's a credit union, but still it, it's not doing anything for me. Right? There's a bit of peace of mind if I need it, there's cash here, but it's not earning any interest. It's not really doing anything for me. So then I thought, why would I want to keep it there? And uh, let's try IBC. And then when I figured out IBC worked, as I'm, as Sarvala mentioned, as I'm paying off these debts, that capital that was going to debt service is now coming to me. Right? It, it, as I'm paying down the loan, it's going to my system. But as those get paid to zero, those monthly payments come back to me. The snowball effect, I guess Dave Ramsey would call it. And it snowballs, so now you have more capital. So then I looked at my bank account and went, well, this is ridiculous. Now I have, and I'm, I'm happy to have this problem, right? Like I have a bunch of capital sitting here. I could actually afford to do another bigger policy, which <laughs> when I first started seemed like, you know, maybe two years, five years, whatever. Like I, I'm an apprentice. I'm finishing off uh, an electrical apprenticeship. So I'm not making a huge amount of bank, but I have rental properties. I have other uh, assets that I've created to throw off uh, cash flow. And as you, as you accumulate more assets, as you get better at investing, as you get raises or whatever it is, as you have more capital available, you <clears throat> put it into the system. And it's astonishing to me to this day that it's been growing as fast as it has. And I can look forward to within the next year, 18 months, doing another policy, which if I would have thought at the beginning, when Sarblo told me, yeah, it will be opening other policies, I almost, you know, told him something, which I also won't repeat on here. But I was just like, there's, what are you talking about? Like I'm taking all the available capital I have right now and putting it into this thing. Like, Where's this other cash going to come from? And then a year later, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I could do another one. He's right. I could totally do another one. <sighs> oh, that's I had so to, good. Like I had to get out of my own way, right? I had to get out of my own way and just realize, like, just try it, right? I read enough, I've done all the research, nothing is going to change until I actually take an action, get a result and decide, is this taking me closer to where I want to go? And, and once it was, I'm like, okay, what's next? How do I do more of this? Well, on that note, how do we do more of this? I'll tell you, Steve, we sincerely appreciate having you as a guest on our show today. We know the listeners, of course, are going to get a ton of value from it. And Richard, I wanted to uh, hand the hot potato over to you and see if you had any parting uh, remarks that you wanted to share on this uh, client series episode. Well, um, you know, part, parting remarks would be, you know, if you're listening into this, you know, recognize that we, we all ex go through life experiences and there's always a way that we can bounce back from them if we put our, you know, our head down and we're willing to be committed to the process. And Steve's demonstrated that to us uh, today. Um, another key takeaway for our listeners is the critical importance of having a relationship, building a relationship with your coach, being able yeah. to reach out to that person, have good conversations that are that are about the possibilities and 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 just the ability to have that sounding board and that person to reach out to. Uh, you know, I think Steve and Sarblo here have really demonstrated just how important that relationship is yeah. and what it can do for you in in your ability to think through things because it's not about 
It's not about laying out a path for a person. It's about, it's about talking about what direction in the path do you want to go and then allowing you the choice to be able to go down there. So really well done, uh, both Sarbel, Steve. Thank you for that. Now, Steve, obviously you shared such a ton with us here. Uh, not all heroes wear capes. Um, I don't even know if Metallica's done that in a roadshow or not before, but <laughs> I would imagine it was, I could, I could see Lars on the drums possibly with one. Um, so, and, and you know, you might not think of yourself as a hero, of course, um, but as a musician, I'm sure you've brought a ton of joy to people throughout your, your many years of doing so. And every time you create value for others, much like you've done in our podcast today, um, you're really benefiting people and making their life easier in some way. So, you know, final thought, what would you want to share with folks? Who would you like to be a hero to? Mm. Well, James Brown used to wear a cape too. <laughs> did. Yeah. In terms of the hero thing, I just, I struggle with that, but it, I, I, if I can couch that as who do I want to set an example for, right? Who do I want to show that, Hey, I did this not because I'm like some super guy, anybody can do what I did. So living through what I've lived through. And like, I lived through other stuff that for me was way worse than going through cancer, which I, I don't really ever talk about, but it was much harder. So I've, I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life and I get it. Everybody's going to have to do that. Don't cave into that. That is there to teach you something. And if you can manage to grow through these adversities, you can build towards a much brighter future. And incidentally, having gone through those things, it's like a, a crucible moment. They, they define for you what's important in your life and what isn't. In an instant, you know like what's important, what is not important, how do I change my priorities? Mm. Anybody can do that. And as soon as you do, when you get aligned with your, let's say your values, this is important to me. I'm going to go after this. Find somebody that, like Sarlo has literally mentored me the whole way through. You can find people that are willing to do that. And that, that is probably the biggest selling point in this process and the way you guys do it is knowing that when I have a question, I'm not going to have to you know, freak out or freeze or stop. I just say, okay, I need to make a meeting, arrange a meeting because I have something to move forward with. And again, these are tools that are available to anybody that signs up with you guys. Uh, I really appreciate what, this process has done for me and, and I'm still early on in the game and I wish I would have found it literally 30 years ago when I was looking for things like this, but I'm glad that I found it today. And if anybody's watching this now, just realize this is available to you. Buy the book, read the book, start there, watch these episodes. There's a wealth of knowledge that you guys are putting out for free that everybody can benefit from. And literally anybody can do this process, anybody. And once you start and you see the benefits of it, and never stop doing it. Wow. So well put, Steve. We appreciate you being a guest. Sarblo, thank you for joining us as well. Richard, as always, thank you. And to all of our listeners, uh, if you're on the YouTubes, if you just look over here somewhere, you're going to see a recommendation uh, for the next few videos that uh, the YouTubes are recommending that you get, uh, get through. So please continue to watch, continue to learn, uh, continue to grow. And as Steve said, you know, don't let adversity or setbacks stop you from achieving what you want to get done. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for being with us here on Wealth Without Bay Street on another client series. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.